Well, good morning. Thank you. We got here just in time to be here. Well, not for this week, but for today. Well, it's good to be back with you all. We made it back um, from Michigan, as has been mentioned, and as you see, uh, and had a good time with my family there and, and a refreshing time of rest. If you would, please turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We're going to continue in our study there. There are some things in life that are easy to overlook, but hard to do without. I think we could think of all sorts of examples, but uh, think of one. Water. Easy to overlook, but hard to do without. Uh, It's easy to overlook the importance of it, but you'll know it if you don't have it. Have you ever been really thirsty? Like really, really thirsty? All of a sudden, you start thinking about water. You start daydreaming about water. It becomes just about the only thing you can think about. Uh, When I was about four years old, I remember going on a trip, vacation with my parents down to Florida. And on the drive back, I was so thirsty. All I wanted was something to drink. And I wasn't being given anything to drink. And I had no idea why there was no water in the vehicle. Now as a parent, now I know why I wasn't being given water, (laughs) because I didn't want to stop every half an hour at the rest station. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I, w- I was thirsty, and all I could think about was water. And when I got home, I was drinking water straight out of the faucet. I mean, it was, it was thirsty. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I don't normally think about water day to day. It's just something I take for granted. It's easy to overlook the importance of it, but it's really hard to go without it. In our text this morning, we're going to encounter a couple of details that are easy to overlook. They're, in fact, they're easy to miss as we read through the passage on the Lord's Supper. They're easy to miss, they're easy to overlook. But fellowship in the body of Christ can grind to a halt without these. We're going to see a couple items. We'll see them in a minute. Let's read our text together. We'll be in Mark 14. Verses 22 to 25. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we bless your name and we thank you for sending your Son. As we just sang about, O sacred head now wounded. That you would send your Son to be given over to that for us. Lord, there must be a kind of love in that that we will spend all eternity considering and marveling in and praising you for Help us this morning to set our hearts on you and to relish the good things that you have done for us through your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Continuing in this text, we were here last time I was here three weeks ago, and we're going to spend a few more weeks in it yet. Um, Last time we considered verse 22 and the, the thought of Jesus as the bread, Christ as the bread. 
says, this is my body. We considered that the bread was a symbol of his body, which is broken and given for us, uh, and is to be taken by faith. Next week, I hope to consider the cup, the meaning of the cup, and the the blood of the covenant. Uh, But this week, I want to focus on the bread and the cup together, and especially two details that are in the text. And through this, we're going to see the fact that taking communion together should promote unity and service in the body of Christ. We're going to look first at unity in communion, and then second, at service in communion. The first detail that we should catch here in this passage is that Jesus gives them one bread and one cup. They are all to eat from the one loaf that he has there, that he takes and he blesses, he breaks it and he gives it to them, and they are to drink from the one cup that he has. In this act, we see unity in diversity. It is the single loaf and the single cup that is shared among the many disciples. And that's not a throwaway detail in the Gospels. Uh, That is a fact that actually has meaning behind it. In fact, there's so much meaning behind it that the Apostle Paul is going to lean on this fact as he addresses the issue of idolatry in the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, Paul is addressing the issue of Christians eating meat sacrificed to idols. And he's addressing other things along with that, including he's addressing unity and the problem that's happening there. Uh, One of the problems that Paul addresses is that some of the Corinthian Christians were going so far as to going into pagan temples during the, the meals that they sacrificed to the pagan deities, and the Christians were eating in those meals when these false gods were being worshipped. And Paul has to write to them and tell them, stop it. He doesn't just say stop it, he also gives them reasons for why they need to stop doing that. Uh, He argues that the Lord's Supper uh, is why we shouldn't take supper with Zeus and company. I want to turn there with you, if you would. Please turn along. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 10, and then a bit will be in chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, down to verse 22. Again, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10, 14. He says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as the sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Notice here that Paul is employing a theology of the Lord's Supper 
to combat the problem of idolatry uh, and idol worshiping. He argues in verses 16 to 17 here that those who take the Lord's Supper, those who eat the bread and drink the cup, they are participating in the Lord when they do that. He adds to that the fact that those in the Old Testament who ate at the sacrificial meals, they were participants in the altar. So they go, they eat together, they're participating. We participate in the Lord when we take the Lord's Supper. Even in the Old Testament, people were participating in the sacrifices when they were, uh, when they were gathering together, participating in the altar. Paul's using these examples to say, so if you go into the pagan temples, you sit down, and you have a meal to Zeus, you're participating in idolatry. Now, maybe that seems really obvious, but it wasn't to them. Uh, Paul is having to, to spell this out, and he goes to the Lord's Supper to help them understand why they really need to stop going into the pagan temples during those moments. As we read through First uh, Corinthians, I'll just throw this on here, uh, we see all sorts of mess. They're, the Corinthian church is in all sorts of trouble. Uh, some of the things that they're engaged in, it's not even polite to talk about sometimes. Uh, and I'm just amazed at all of the things that the Apostle Paul has to address. And yet it's a, a mercy in God's providence that we can read about that and learn about uh, these things that he's telling to them. In fact, some of the teaching we'll see here on the Lord's Supper, we wouldn't have elsewhere in the New Testament uh, if it wasn't for the way they messed it up here. So... Uh, that's, that's a mercy for us. Uh, and uh, I do want to focus in here, though, uh, verse 17. I'll read it again. As Paul's in the middle of his argument, he says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, this is where we're going to have to think hard for a minute. Uh, the last time we were in this passage, in, in Mark 14, we saw the fact that the bread pointed to the body of Christ, right? It was his body that is broken that he gives for others. We see something a little different here. It does mean that it is his body broken for us, but Paul is pointing out the fact that there is, since there is one bread that we all take together, that is pointing to the fact that we are together in Christ. In fact, we are the body of Christ. So it means both. It points to the, the body of Christ broken for us for our salvation so that we could be forgiven. And it points to the fact that we are unified in Christ. The one bread also points to the fact that we are one together in Christ. As we are the body of Christ, we are one together. Paul's going to also say later in in chapter 12, that we are uh, the body of Christ. Uh, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So there's unity portrayed there. I think one of the clear takeaways from us in light of this is that if we are unified in Christ, we should seek to be unified in Christ. If that is spiritually true of us, by the Holy Spirit, having been brought together into one body, then we should seek to make that unity visible. 
we should seek to make visible to the world around us that we are united in Christ. Now, some have sought in the one bread and the one cup, they sought to recreate that by having one loaf of bread. I've been in a service where there was one loaf of bread and it was broken and shared. Uh, There are other traditions that have one cup and everybody drinks from a single cup. And I think that's fine. I, I think that's there's some use in doing that. I don't think we're bound to do that. I think there's a freedom there. What is essential, though, is that we pursue what that unity is pointing to. We should be pursuing the unity that we have in Christ. If we believed on him, then we are united together. We should make that unity visible. And there's a second passage in 1 Corinthians where we see this discussion of unity played out in tangible terms. There's a, another text that we often turn to when we consider communion in 1 Corinthians 11. And there we see this unity uh, is breaking down. I want to read that in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 down through verse 34. It's an extended passage, so hang with me here want to read this passage and see where this unity uh, is being disrupted. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating... Each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. After supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat and drink, excuse me, so eat the bread and drink the cup, I'm going to have to read that verse again. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things I will give directions when I come. In verses 23 to 26, Paul's teaching on the Lord's Supper. He's telling them things that he's already taught them in person. Uh, And then all around those verses, he's telling the Corinthians and talking to them about how they've been taking the Lord's Supper wrongly. Uh, What is the key problem here. If I can summarize the issue, uh, 
the Corinthians are taking a meal that pictures the death of their Messiah and for their sins as they are living in unrepentant sin. So they're eating a meal that points to the death of Christ for them, for their sins, while they're sinning. Uh, To get even into more detail, uh, they're eating a meal that points to their unity in Christ while they are disregarding one another. They are sinning against one another, sinning against the unity of the body of Christ as they're taking a meal that points to their unity in Christ. Now, in the early church, meetings were primarily in houses. And uh, they would generally be in the houses of people who were wealthy enough to have a house large enough to host the gathering of the saints there. And it seems like, uh, as best we can piece together, that during the meals that would follow the service, it was probably in the afternoon or evening, church would gather together, then they'd have the evening meal together, and probably during that meal at some point, they would more formally have the Lord's Supper as a time set aside, but it was in the context of a meal. Uh, And so what it seems like was happening here at Corinth is that people were getting together, and maybe the the homeowner was favoring some of the rich in the, the church family. Maybe they were eating together, uh, and they were eating in excess, even to the point of getting drunk, while those who were uh, poor, Paul says here, those who have nothing, they were being neglected. So some are gorging themselves, while others are going without anything. I mean, that's really a tragedy. Uh, and Paul is bringing in correction here to correct uh, their violation of the whole point of communion. In taking communion together, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 26 says, We declare that he has died for our salvation and that we have taken part in that salvation by faith. And as we do that together, we do that as the body of Christ, as the one body of Christ. And the Corinthians were contradicting that by their actions. Paul brings correction to them, and if we have sensitive hearts, uh, we should examine ourselves in light of that. One of the things I think we should take away from this is that we should take the Lord's Supper with good hearts. Uh, We should see both of those aspects in it. We should repent of any known sin, and we should take communion with a heart that is set on unity in the Lord. Now, the truth is that there are times when we have issues with other believers. Uh, As much as we'd like to think that all Christian relationships would be easy, and flowery, and fun all the time, I think experience teaches us otherwise. As we gather together to take communion, our hearts should be set on unity. If you have a relationship with another believer that is deeply strained, I want to encourage you this morning to set your heart on reconciliation. Now, I'm not picking anything out in this congregation. There isn't a something I have in mind that I'm trying to preach at. I don't, I don't preach in that way. But I say this generally to all of us. It's something for us to examine our hearts. If you have a relationship with another believer that is deeply strained, I want to encourage you to seek reconciliation in that relationship. Pursue the kind of peace and unity that the Lord Jesus Christ died to secure. Make your unity in Christ visible. Now, perhaps 
the first step in that is to open your heart even to the possibility of pursuing reconciliation. That might be the step you need to take. That might be a step that you have to plead with God to help your heart to take. Perhaps on the other hand, you want to seek reconciliation, but you are afraid to take that step. I encourage you to pray. If that's where you're at, I encourage you to pray that the Lord would give you wisdom and how to pursue somebody and courage in doing that. He is honored in our desire for unity, uh, and he will help you as you look to him. I want to say, on the other hand, yet, if your heart is 100% closed to reconciliation, and you know before the Lord that he would have you seek it, uh, but you refuse to even consider that, I think that's probably a time that you should abstain from taking the Lord's Supper. You should probably spend some time with God having a heart-to-heart conversation on that matter. Or, even further, if, if you're living in sin, in an unrepentant sin that you have no desire to turn away from, that's a time as well when you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. We should examine our hearts when we take communion, as Paul says here. If our heart is opposed to Christian unity or it's running headlong into sin, that's a time to refrain. That would be taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner because it would be contradicting the unity that we have in Christ or it would be contradicting the fact that what we're saying is that we have taken of the Lord's forgiveness uh, and that we hate sin. If our lives are saying the opposite, that's a time to refrain and go to the Lord and have a heart-to-heart with him. If you are stuck in that kind of a place, I do encourage you to seek the Lord. If it would help to talk with Scott or I and pray with us, we'd be happy to meet with anybody. We want to seek reconciliation. Uh, And the reality is, on the other hand, sometimes it doesn't go so smoothly when you do seek reconciliation. That's a sad reality. Uh, But that doesn't mean that you can't take communion until it's all resolved. Paul says elsewhere to live at peace to the best of your ability. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, if you have made an honest attempt at reconciliation, if your heart's been pointed in that direction, uh, then even if it's not resolved in the short term, you can take communion with a clear conscience. In that case, you are seeking unity, even if it's going to take time and work to get there. The Lord's Supper should point us in the direction of holiness and in the direction of unity together in the Lord. So we have one bread and one cup that points us to the unity that we have in the Lord. So we've seen unity in communion. Uh, More shortly here, we'll see service in communion in our text. And we've been adventuring in 1 Corinthians. Let's turn back to Mark chapter 14. I want to read the text again here. Mark 14, 22, and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, there is another detail here that is so obvious that we could miss it. Here it is. Jesus is the one who is giving the bread and the cup to his disciples. It's Jesus giving the bread and the cup. Uh, That's pretty obvious, isn't it? 
Maybe it's so obvious that it doesn't merit mention, but it does. It is Christ who gives these elements to his disciples. And in doing that, he serves them. And don't forget what these elements picture. Uh, The body of Christ is pictured in the bread, which is broken and which is given for the salvation of his people. The blood is picturing, uh, the cup is picturing his blood which is shed. Uh, He is giving these to his disciples. And in fact, he is showing us, as he's giving them the bread and the cup, he is picturing the way that he has served us in a far deeper sense. Jesus Christ has laid down his life and death so that we can have new life in him. That's something that we could never do for ourselves. We are in desperate need of that service. John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus has loved us and he's laid his life down for us. And in doing that, he has served us. This morning, you haven't yet accepted the service of Jesus then let him serve you in this way. Accept him as Lord and Savior. And for the Christian, we find that Jesus not only serves us here, but he also gives us an example to follow. The point is more implicit here in Mark's Gospel, but it's more explicit in some of the other Gospels. In Luke and John, we see this point made explicitly. Uh, the, the theme of service is thicker in those Gospels. In Luke twenty-two twenty-four to 27 Uh, We see the Lord's Supper instituted. And then immediately after that, uh, we see the disciples getting into an argument. It says in Luke's Gospel here in 22, chapter 22, verse 24, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. The Lord has just served them. He's just instituted the Lord's Supper. And they've got something to talk to each other about. They want to know who is to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves." draws our attention to the teaching of Jesus here immediately after the Lord's Supper. Uh, Here, Jesus is the one who serves. He's just served his disciples, then he's instructing them in service. He's calling them to serve. He calls them to pursue true greatness through humble service. The other text, John 13, uh, you'll recall in John 13 that while Jesus is at this supper with them, he rises from the meal, he takes off his outer garments, he puts on a towel, And he stoops down and begins to wash his disciples' dirty feet. And after he does that, he puts his outer garment back on, and he gives them the point of why he does this. In John 13, 12 to 17, it says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
There we have it again. Jesus, the master, is the one who serves. Though he's great, he's humbled himself in service. And he tells his disciples that they are to follow in this. In this final meal that Jesus has been eager to take, he says elsewhere, he serves his disciples. He takes this precious time that he has to instruct his disciples in service. And this is all taking place in the context of the Lord's Supper. He's calling them to serve one another. Brothers and sisters, as we gather in our times for communion, uh, that very act should spur us on to serve one another. It should encourage us in service. Communion is a time for us to reflect on how much the Lord has done for us. We reflect on the extent of which he has served us, and that should encourage us to serve others. Today, after the service, we're going to eat a meal together. On the days where we have a potluck or a meal like this, we don't formally hold the Lord's Supper as an event, uh, yet we do continue in the tradition of the early church in having meals together and fellowshipping together. Our fellowship meal is another opportunity to seek unity together and to seek to serve one another. I want to encourage you, even today, let our mealtime be a time in which you serve others. One way, an example, that you can serve one another at a potluck or at a mealtime is to to be thoughtful in asking questions. Uh, You can ask questions of one another and then listen to what they have to say. That's a way to serve one another. Be serving in the way you communicate. Seek to ask good questions and to listen. Uh, Consider how you can do good to the brother or sister sitting next to you. Uh, If there's somebody in this building right now that you don't know very well, well, go out of your comfort zone and get to know them. Uh, Seek to know the people that the Lord has put you together with in this church family. Uh, We should grow together. As much as the Lord is helping us in that direction, we should pursue that. He's calling us to that unity. He's calling us to service. So let's seek that together. Let's seek to live out before the watching world the unity that we have in Christ. Serving one another is one of the ways that we can pursue that as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for calling us together. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time of fellowship, give us joy in you, And Lord, I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to draw together closer in unity. That it's something that you desire, and it's something that you are able to work out in our hearts. So help us, Lord, to cooperate with your Holy Spirit in seeking unity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to call on Pastor Scott to come and lead our sharing.